The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Amen. Thank you. Be seated. Is my battery on? Can y'all hear me? Is it on? Chris, is it on? My microphone on? Okay, I just need to talk. I'm sorry, Chris. You're doing a great job back there. I'm not. Well, as I uh, was listening to Kevin read the text, I couldn't help but chuckle. And I'm sure he's thinking, thank you, Tracy, for making me read all this. Uh, All these impossible names to pronounce. And uh, uh, I've always said that if you just read them really fast and with confidence, nobody knows if you're wrong or not. And so uh, that's, that's good. That's why you do it. Uh, and also, when he talked about uh, being asleep this morning, I sent a text out. Before I got too puffed up with pride and arrogance, the McDonald's kind of snickered and gave me grief. Because this week, uh, Tuesday, we were having our cohort, which is when I, I uh, exalt myself over some people in the church and act like I know what I'm talking about. And uh, I slept a little late, and uh, I, was, I was a little slow getting up. I actually was awake, and I was actually praying in bed. And then when I got here late and they texted me, they were like, really? And I was like, I'm debating whether I should tell y'all I was praying or not. And they, I was like, no, they're like, do not say you're praying. So when, uh, when Ke- Kevin was late this morning or, or slept late, they said, maybe he was praying. So I appreciate the discipleship that you are offering me, Mickey. And, uh, so anyway, we get to chapter 10 in Joshua and our study of Joshua. It's been a fun study reading this different uh, accounts, accounts that went on. Last week, we uh, remember, we saw the Gibeonite deception. And uh, what that was, was the Gibeonites lived in the boundaries of the promised land. And the word of God said that Israel could not enter into a covenant with someone living in the boundaries of the promised land. Well, they didn't want to be wiped out. So they put on rat- tattered out clothes and equipment and acted like they were from way away, having traveled a long journey and offered to enter into covenant. Well, the the lesson of the story was that, that, that uh, Joshua did not seek the counsel of the Lord. They knew the word of God. They knew that God said, don't go into covenant. Gibeonites knew the word of God. They got into this situation that was confusing and complicated, but they failed to just ask the Lord for wisdom. And so we were encouraged to, to remember that just because we know the word of God doesn't mean that we should be presumptuous and self-reliant. We should continue to be a live lives dependent upon the Lord. Our lives should be in submission to the Lord and knowing His will and seeking His wisdom. Today we come to a text that again emphasizes the very important need for prayer. Uh, Joshua is going to uh, enter into this uh, battle with this five king coalition, if you will. All of chapter 10 records how the five kings conspired against Israel. They heard, and in today's text, we learn that apparently Gibeonites were studs. Uh, they, they were, uh, the, the Jerusalem king and these other kings were surprised that the Gibeonites would offer a peace treaty because they were a powerful nation. And so they're thinking, man, if, if the Gibeonites would offer a peace treaty instead of just going in and wiping out Israel, Israel must be really powerful. The way Gibeon is described as being more powerful than I, and Israel had already beat I, Jericho, I, and made peace with the Gibeonites. So the fame of Israel is just growing. And that's what God says he would do in the land, that he would spread his fame 
in all the land. And so now we see you've got several reactions to the fame of God. Rahab's reaction was she heard how powerful God was in parting the Red Sea and getting them out of Egypt and parting the, uh, the Jordan River. They came in there through dry land. And so Rahab's response was one of humble faith. She threw herself on the mercy of God and just put herself and her only hope in God's provision. And God was faithful. She was saved and incorporated into the people of God. Then we see the next uh, Jericho or the battle of Jericho. God was amazing. They, They just we saw a picture of the ideal of the people trusting God and God getting victory. Then the battle of Ai, their first attempt was a failure because they had secret sin in the people of God. They rooted that out, dealt with it, and then God gave them victory. And then you see the Gibeonites hearing about all this, the victory at Ai, the victory at Jericho, the crossing of the sea. And instead of humbly throwing themselves at the mercies of God like Rahab did, they deceived. Now you hear these five kings hearing of the fame of God Not deceiving, not humbly throwing themselves in the mercy of God, but rearing up and fighting. So this is a picture of the nations arrogantly conspiring against God and His people. This is exactly why God is not a mean-spirited God for taking these people out. For hundreds of years, God said, their wickedness will continue to get worse and worse. They will not repent, and there will come a time when I will discipline and judge them. And so here we see a picture of that judgment. So as Joshua looks ahead, he has to face a battle. And this reminds us that the Christian life, those of us who are followers of Christ, life does not get easy because you're a Christian. Life is filled with battles. The, the easy time is not until Christ returns or we transition to be with Him through death. But in the meantime, when we choose to follow Christ, when He makes us His children, and we choose to, to do the basic concept being described as grow in holiness and, and spread the gospel to the ends of the earth, which is our mandate as believers, then we can expect a battle. Every day will be a battle, circumstantial battles, emotional battles, physical battles, spiritual battles. There will be battles to face. Just like we see Joshua in the, in the story, in, in the book of Joshua, is just battle after battle after battle. If you think the Christian life is supposed to be an easy life, then you've been deceived or misled. The Christian life is going to be a battle. So what do we see? Joshua hears that, or actually the kings conspire, and instead of attacking Israel, they attack Gibeon. Gibeah is the group that just deceived Israel and entered into a covenant with them. And so whether they're trying to lure them up or what, we don't know, but they attack Gibeah. Now what does Gibeah do? Verse 6, the men of Gibeon sent word to Joshua to the camp of Gilgal saying, Do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites that live in the hill country have assembled against us. What do you think Joshua was thinking right about that moment? He's like, I don't care. Let them take you. I wasn't even supposed to enter into a covenant with y'all. That was a bad mistake. I was not in my right mind. I did not seek the Lord. I made a bad decision. I don't care what happens to you. That's, you're telling me all the kings, you should have lied. You should have told me that. 
All the kings of the hill country have conspired to, to take you, and now you want me to honor my word? No, thanks. That was a mistake. Except for the word of God. The word of God shows us that if you make a covenant, you have to honor your covenant. So we see Joshua is in a massive test of faith. He entered into covenant, though he shouldn't have, but now he has to live with the consequences. And so he has to say, okay, I've got to march all the way up into Gilgal, and I've got, or Gibeah, and I have to fight this, this big coalition of kings? So what will he do? What will you do when you face that battle of you've given your word, you've entered into a covenant, and, and everything about it says you're going to fail. This will be disastrous. Nobody's going to know. Nobody's going to be watching. Just, just ignore that little covenant. Don't worry about it. Take the easy way out. What does Joshua do? We see in verse 7, Joshua went up from Gilgal. He and all the people of war with him and all the valiant warriors. So here we see it's presented as Joshua is faithful. Joshua just marched. You you need help? I gave my word. Here I go. That's the kind of people God wants. Joshua's not presented here as going, well, what's the Lord's will? What would the Lord have me to do? You know, maybe I'm not really held to the word of God here because really my situation's unique. I really shouldn't have gotten into that covenant, so maybe I'm not expected to honor that covenant. Isn't that what we do when we find ourselves in a difficult situation? We want to take God's word and and tweak it a little here and twist it a little there or or just kind of not let that scripture come to mind because I don't want to be held accountable. I don't want to be convicted by it. But it's really clear, black and white, obey the word of God. And he knows what he's got to do, and so he hears... I've entered a covenant with these guys. They need my help. I got to go. So he gets up. He rallies the troop. And what we see, Joshua is pictured as courageous man of faith. Would anybody describe us as courageous men and women of faith? That's the kind of men and women, young men and young women, boys and girls, that's the kind of men and women that God wants. He wants people who know the word of God and are courageous and have faith so that their life is a picture of immediate obedience to the word of God. Now, as he heard this, he knew what he was facing. He knew about the conspiring coalition of nations. Everything in his natural realm said, do not do this. You will fail. Massive armies have gathered together. The journey is a long way away. There's nothing in his human knowledge, his logic, his science, his wisdom, his own interpretation of events would say, do not go. And yet he goes. Where do we get such courageous faith? How can we be the type of men and women, boys and girls, young men and women that say, people know us as They are courageous people of faith. I think what we see in these verses is that that kind of courage and that kind of faith that obeys no matter how scary the circumstances comes only when you really know God. 
It only happens when you really know him. That means that this Christianity can't just be a religion that you perform. It can't just be a little category on the shelf of your life and you've got seven categories and here's one of them and that's Christianity, but it stays in its clean little box. Courageous faith doesn't come to that kind of person. Courageous faith comes to the person who truly knows God. Knows God the way we read about him, by the way Joshua knew God. Knows the character of God. Knows the faithfulness of God. Knows the power of God. Knows what God is up to. Knows the plans of God. Knows God's promises and what God has promised that he would do on behalf of his people. Knows God's plans. Knows his will. Knows the path of life. Knows God. That truly knows him and knows his ways and knows what he's up to and knows themselves and where they fit into it. The way to be a courageous man or woman of faith without compromise is to know I have aligned myself with the one true God of the universe. And if he's for me, then who could be against me? That's what you see here. You don't see some superhuman person. You see a man who just messed up and entered into a covenant he shouldn't have entered into. Now you see him making a great, bold, courageous step of faith. And it's because, we will see in this text, because he knows he is aligned with the all-powerful, sovereign God of the universe. So let's see what happens as he takes these bold, courageous steps of faith. It says in verse 8, The Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them. Have courage, in other words. Do not fear them. Why? For I have given them into your hands, and not one of them shall stand before you. Now, isn't that... Don't you know Joshua's going, What are you talking about? I hadn't even gotten there yet. And here you see the sovereignty of God. Now, when I say the sovereignty of God, I wonder what's going on in your mind. Because for years I wrestled, I did not understand, and I was torn over this concept of the sovereignty of God. Because as I started to read the first five books of the Bible, I spent a whole year reading those first five books. I saw this God who wasn't dependent on me. He had this great, big, powerful plan and purpose, and nothing could thwart him. Even sovereign over Jacob's deception, even sovereign over people's sin, there was this big God who is sovereign. And all I could do is say, well, then what in the world am I doing? It made me feel like my actions were meaningless. It made me feel like, well, am I just a puppet in God's hands? And it made me question things like prayer. I was like, well, if God is sovereign, then why in the world am I even supposed to pray? And as I wrestled with it and I came to grips with it, I began to learn to rest in it. I began, instead of fighting it, to realize the bigger question would not be, why would I want to pray to a sovereign God? The bigger question would be, why would I want to pray to a God who's not sovereign? What in the world could he do about it? And we're all along that spectrum. But the Bible teaches us that those two are not in contradiction. God's sovereignty and your responsibility are not at odds with each other at all. In fact, they are, a beautiful, they are in beautiful cooperation. God's not subject to us, 
But God is sovereign, but he says, I am going to sovereignly work through your very real and important decisions and actions. They're not at odds. And now some people have tried to come up with formulas to explain that. And I just tell you, they don't work on me. I don't understand it. And I don't think most people really do understand it. But the point is, God is sovereign and man is responsible. And your decisions are very important and very real. And the way to have courageous faith is to know with certainty that you have aligned yourself with the sovereign plan of God. And when you are aligned with Him, you can know that you have His power, His plans, His purposes, His promises stacked behind you that you cannot fail. And so that's what we see going on here, is that He is confident because God has already said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give them all into your hand. Now, this isn't the first time He told him. He's been saying this for hundreds of years. I'm going to give Abraham, I'm going to give your family the land, I'm going to drive out their enemies, but it's not going to be for hundreds of years because they are wicked people and they'll refuse to repent. And so when I give you the land, it's also going to serve as judgment upon them. And so God has a great plan. None of this is a mystery. If they had been listening to Moses, they would know all this. But instead of it rendering their actions meaningless, it emboldens their actions. It gives them courageous faith so that they can begin to walk in obedience. And so God says, do not be afraid. Why? I have given them into your hands. As Jesus met with his followers, he told them, listen, I want you to go into the world and make disciples of all nations. And he sent them out and he said, listen, I am with you. Listen, you're going to experience trials and tribulations, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world I am with you. I have many people that I want to reach with the gospel. You go and I got this. And so his followers should go with great confidence and faith. Faith, where does that faith come from? It comes from the word of God revealing the unseen realities. Faith comes from hearing the word of God. And so God tells Joshua something that he could not see with the naked eye. I mean, he's going, what are you talking about? It's dark. I got to travel way up there to get to to Gibeah. I got all these warriors I've got to lead up there. I know the nations are conspiring. There's nothing in my mind that says I got this except the fact that God's word reveals unseen realities. And we've seen in Hebrews, the definition of faith is conviction of those unseen realities. So if you know what God says in his word, there's a whole nother story going on than to what we see with the naked eye. And knowing that story, knowing who he is, knowing he's faithful, knowing he's got this, is the source of our courageous faith. Do not fear. I have given them into your hands. Do you walk around feeling like you are on your own? Too many Christians are functional atheists. Too many Christians are functional atheists. We claim there's a God. We've got this little category for Jesus that gets me out of hell. But then the rest of my life, God really doesn't have much to do with it because I'm, I'm, I'm educated. I, I, I've studied a little science. I've studied a little math. 
we've evolved. We're more rational beings. And so, I I mean, we got to be realistic here. I mean, I believe somehow that there's this God who created, and I'm not really sure exactly how, and I'm going to go with this Jesus thing because it gets me out of hell and it makes a little more sense than everything else. But the rest of my life, I'm pretty much a functional atheist or a a, uh, 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 deist. A deist says there's God who created, but he doesn't get involved. He just kind of wound it up and stepped back, and he doesn't get involved. That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is listening right now. And it got quiet. The God of the Bible is concerned with what's going on in your life. The God of the Bible is with you as you walk into those battles. You are not alone with some far removed transcendent God. He is transcendent, but he is also imminent. He cares about you. Do you believe that? If not, you need to work on that. It's powerful. So how does it go? Let's see how the story plays out. Verse 9, so Joshua came upon them suddenly. Here we're going to see the divine human cooperation. Listen carefully. The divine human cooperation. My reformed friends want to emphasize the divine sovereignty of God at the neglect of human responsibility. My Arminian free will friends want to emphasize the responsibility of man to the neglect of the sovereignty of God. And we must not neglect either because they are both true at the same exact time. Here's what we see in verse uh, verse 9 and 10. The responsibility of man. So Joshua came up upon them suddenly. What a brilliant move. He caught them off guard. This was a surprise attack. We're going to see they marched all night and got there quickly and caught them off guard. What happens when someone startles you and catches you off guard? It confounds you, right? Oh, you're you're not prepared. That's what seven, that's what verse nine says happened is they marched all night from Gilgal. But then verse 10 says, and the Lord confounded them. The Lord confounded them before Israel and he, now listen, the New American Standard, the ESV, translate this right. The the subject of the verbs that we're about to read are God. God slew them with a great slaughter at Gibeon. God pursued them by the way of the ascent of Beth and God struck them as far as Ezekiel and Machedah. Well, so what was Joshua doing? Joshua was wielding the sword. Joshua's marching up there in the middle of the night to get there quickly to surprise them. Joshua's using all of his resources, all of his gifts, all of his skills and his leadership. And he's walking courageously by faith, making real decisions, doing real action. And it all matters. But it's God who confounded them. It's God who slew them. It's God who gave them the victory. As you fight your battles, do you feel like you're fighting all alone? God wants to be involved. This is the divine human interaction The next 
as the story continues, we see more interaction. If you're not convinced yet, we'll keep reading. Verse 11, as they fled, so as Joshua and Israel starts fighting the surprise king, five-king coalition, they start to flee away as they fled from before Israel while they were at the descent of Beth Horan, the luckiest thing happened. Oh my, weren't they lucky. A massive hailstorm came and took them out. These are the luckiest people I've ever met. Lucky for them, the same people, when their priests put their water on the Jordan, their foot on the Jordan River water, a mudslide happened. And it diverted the river waters so that they could walk across the river. I mean, these people need to buy a lottery ticket. They are so lucky. But I know why they're lucky. Their whole family, it's karma. Their grandparents crossed the Red Sea on dry land. I hope you hear the foolishness of the scientific explanations of these stories. No. This wasn't a lucky hailstorm. God fought on behalf of Israel that day. And he sent a hailstorm that wiped out. And it says, the Lord threw large stones from heaven on them as far as Azekah and they died. There were more who died from the hailstorms. Just in case you're wondering who got credit here. There were more, he says, who died from the hailstones than those whom the sons of Israel killed with the sword. Now, they're not sitting back in their lawn chair saying, get them, God. They're obeying and they're working and they're doing what God told them to do. And it took courageous faith and they had to do it. And it was scary and they're wielding the sword and their lives are at danger. They are at peril. But God got involved. Do you know that? God is involved in your life that way. As you walk to make disciples and you're thinking, I got to open my mouth and talk about Jesus and I'm scared to death. Jesus said, open your mouth and I'll fill it. Don't you worry about what's going to happen when you talk. Just open your mouth and I got this. I'll be with you. I can't tell you how many times I've been in a counseling session and I'm trembling inside going, God, I got no idea what to say. God, I need you. I need you. I need you, Lord. I'm thinking that in my heart over and over as I'm hearing the complex story of pain and hurt and heartache. And I don't have anything to offer in of myself. And I say, God, please, please. And I just start talking. And he says, and I'm like, wow. It was divine insight. It was discernment. Is God real in your life? Half the battle's just showing up. I had someone call me this week, this weekend. Hey man, I gotta go be there for a friend. He's in a bad place. I was thinking about what to say, you know, scriptures and stuff, and I said, Man, you already got the battle won. The hardest part is just showing up. And let God use you. And we work through some scriptures together. God is, is alive. The sovereign 
creator of the universe is involved. And he wants you to include him. This last week, I was invited to a lunch. I say that, and every time I say it, I think, well, it sounds like it was a big honor. Every pastor was invited in the city, and so it was no honor for me. But I got to go to a lunch, and Kevin Ezel, who is the president of the North American Mission Board, was there speaking, and he was, he was awesome, just down to earth and funny, just telling stories and just very refreshingly honest. And, and afterwards, I just said, man, I so appreciate you coming and telling us this. And, and about something you said, I asked a quick question. I mean, this is the president of the National North American Mission Board. And, and he says, yeah, hey, here, take my email down. And I'm like, shh, don't say it too loud. Everybody's going to hear your email. And he gave me his email address. And I was like, wow, that was nice. It's very, wow, I'm nobody. He's giving me his personal email address. And so he said, yeah, shoot me an email. I'd love to tell you more about that. So I shot him an email. I'm like in the parking lot. Yeah, I got his email address. You know? And so I sent him an email. And I'm like, hey, look, yeah, thanks so much for the time. I get the email back a couple of days later. And he says, hey, man, here's my cell phone. Give me a call. I really want to talk to you about this. And I'm just like, are you kidding me? The, the president of the North American Mission Board is giving me his personal cell phone? The sovereign creator of the universe has said, call me. I'm available to you. I care about you. I care about your question. I care about your need that you have in your battles I want to help you. Wow. That's astounding. That's, that's mind-boggling. That's what this text says. So we're challenged to believe that this sovereign wants to be involved. And we want to explain the hailstorm away as karma or as luck as some scientific explanation that at that precise location, the weather pattern changes. And, and, and literally, that's what they do. That's what people do. They want to explain it all away, and it's ridiculous. Well, let's keep on reading. Verse 12. Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the sons of Israel, and he said, in the sight of Israel... O sun, stand still at Gibeon, and O moon in the valley of Ajon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped. What? Come on, seriously? I want everyone to stand up, and I want those who believe it over here, and those who don't believe it over there. No, I'm kidding. Did the sun stand still at Gibeon? Absolutely. The sun never moves, the earth rotates. Ah, what's going on here? Do we believe this? Let me start by saying, if you can't believe this, then I bet you have a weak prayer life. Because the whole point of the text is, if you are so logical and so scientific and so full of yourself that you think God can't interrupt his own consistency to do a miracle, then you sure aren't going to think that God cares about you and your needs. 
the only reason why we have science is because we, no disrespect, scientists and doctors, because I am not smart enough to be one. I just saw the first biology one class and could not handle any of the vocabulary words and was like, I need to do something else. The only reason why we have science is because God is so faithful and so consistent that we are groveling with our repetitive failure, failure experiment after another till finally we stumble onto something. That's what science is. So how dare us put God in a box and say, you can't do anything out of the norm. If God wanted to stop the earth from rotating that day because it was needed at that moment, then he'll do it. Because that's the sovereign creator of the universe. And if he decides that you need it, he'll do it. I want to make it clear. We need to believe in the possibility of of the sun standing still that day. Now, as we read that and say, did the sun stand still? I'll just end up saying, I'm not sure. Why? Not because I doubt God. Not because of reason. But because the way we read the scriptures is to read it and take the most natural understanding of the text to be the meaning of the text. If there's something that causes us to look otherwise, we can. In this case... That And the problem is, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, first of all, but I've slept at a Holiday Inn Express, and I've read some Hebrew scholars. And what you see here is this language on this unique piece is in poetry. So that does give us the possibility that this was figurative, and it was just referring to the all-night moonlight march and the all-day when the sun was blazing hot, the battle and the victory. Or... You look at the point of the text, and the point clearly is this one-time miraculous event. So whether it actually happened or not, you need to understand that the Bible makes it clear it certainly could have happened. And then the point is this, that that's not the greatest miracle of the day. What? The confusion of the, of the enemies wasn't the greatest miracle? The hailstones just at the right place at the right time, hitting the right people and not the wrong people. That wasn't the greatest miracle of the day. The sun standing still, if that happened, if the earth stopped rotating that day, that wasn't the greatest miracle of that day. What are you talking about? What's the greatest miracle of the day? Verse 14. The Lord listened to a voice of a man. A literal translation of that verse, and you want to be careful here, but it gets the little, <clears throat> literal translation of that verse is, on that day, God obeyed the voice of a man. Wow. That's crazy hard to believe. The man that just stupidly entered into this covenant in the first place. This text is encouraging you to understand what an incredible gift prayer is. Do you believe God answers prayer? My Reformed friends, prayer is not just a devotional experience to remind you of the truths of God. My Arminian friends, you cannot do this apart from God. God works 
in response to our prayers. What? That's insane. John 15, 7, if you abide in me, Jesus says, and my words abide in you. In other words, you walking with me, you aligned with me. Jesus says, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. If you're walking with Jesus, making disciples, he's saying, ask me what you need. John 15, 16, you did not choose me. I chose you and I appointed you that you would go and bear fruit. God says, this is my plan, my sovereign idea. I got you into this. Now, listen, whatever you ask in the father's name, I will give it to you. John 16, 23. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. Ephesians 3, 20. Now to him who is able to do far abundantly beyond hailstorms and stopping the sun. This is the kind of God you're talking about. Now to him who's able to do all that beyond you could ever ask or think according to the power that works within us. Ask me, he says. 1 John 3, 22, whatever we ask, we receive from him because we are walking with him, keeping his commandments and doing the things that are pleasing in his sight. 1 John 5, 14, this is the confidence that we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, walking in his plans and purposes and promises. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us and whatever we ask, then we know we have the requests we have asked from him. Are you walking forward on mission for God? And have you encountered a heart? How many times have I encountered a heart and said, I can't change that heart. I can't do it. And then say, God, I need you to change their heart. I'm powerless here. I can't change a person's heart. Can you change a person's heart? You need God to change a person's heart. Who are you praying? God, change their heart. Are you praying for your children that way? I see them going. Oh, Lord. Whoa, Lord. Change their heart. You want to share the gospel with someone at work and they just give you the ugliest look and don't you talk to me about Jesus. God, change their heart. God, make me bold, make me courageous like Joshua. God, I know you're real and I know you're there. Do you know God cares? He says, I want to answer your prayers. Father God in heaven, we praise you for this glorious truth. How unspeakable, unsearchable are your ways that you would humble yourself, submit yourself to obey the voice of a man in accordance to your perfect plans and purposes.
Lord, we thank you for Jesus who perfectly fulfilled your will, who by faith in his blood makes us his children, who fills us with his spirit so that we can walk according to your ways and intercedes on behalf of us as we cry out to you for things that we don't even know to ask. Lord, help us to believe this truth today that you are here with us, you love us, you're listening to us, you care, you're involved, and you want to respond to our requests as a perfect, loving Father. God, we praise you for this glorious truth, all available to us only through the salvation available through the blood of Jesus Christ. And it's in his glorious name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.